Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week, we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 21. With Joseph B. Avenue and Joseph Makos. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. This week we're talking about children's poetry. Because there was just an event in town a week ago from the day this is airing. Uh, we had a event at the Children's Resource Library in New Orleans where our past guest and good friend Jeff Pagano works, so he helped us set this up, where we had some children ranging from the age of five to nine, I believe, four to nine, how old is Indigo now? I think at least five. I think she's five, yeah. I think she was the youngest. Five to nine. Read some of their poetry and talked a little bit about what they liked about writing poetry and some of their thoughts on writing poetry, which we're going to hear later in this episode. But we thought maybe we'd start out just kind of talking a little bit about children's poetry and teaching children to write poetry. And I've thought about a little bit the books that you get when you're a kid and the idea of sort of those first reading books that you get in, in, in Dr. Seuss yeah. and those sort of types of books are basically poetry in a certain sense. Well, Dr. Seuss, certainly. Yeah. 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 I don't know if all children's books, it used to more be that way, right? And Maybe felt- less so now, but it used to be a lot of them were written in rhyme and meter. Yeah, meter rhyme. Exactly. A lot of that stuff. But I think there's something nice about teaching younger children poetry because they're not hampered by preconceptions of what poetry is in the way that I think the MFA is. Well, certainly the MFA, but even, you know, (laughs) even by the time you're in high school, right, you've kind of got some idea of what poetry is supposed to be. Sometimes incorrect, sometimes correct. But even if you've got a pretty good idea of what poetry is, you've kind of been taught to look at it in a certain way, and it's a little more difficult to teach someone to write it at that point. Definitely. I mean, can you give kids just a couple simple rules and have them go? Because that's what it, that's what it is, right? Yeah. I mean, basically. Just give them a few few rules? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, one of the, the one things that when I think about teaching children poetry, I think about Kenneth Cook first. And in fact... In, in before this reading last week, my wife Raina met with these kids, and some of them had some things to read already, but we thought, you know, it would be good for them to kind of prepare for it. And she used some of the Kenneth Coke exercises for teaching children poetry to have them come up with some new some new things because some of them needed more more to work on, and some and also just to kind of look at what they already had. And I guess, really, in the 70s, Kenneth Koch's books about teaching poetry came out. Rose, where did you get that read? Teaching Great Poetry to Children by Kenneth Koch. And I'm sure there were people teaching poetry to kids before this. But, of course. But he kind of took a different, a different approach to it, I think, than anyone had really done before. And he was coming from, I think, where most poets come from in their teaching teaching tradition. He had been teaching college uh, 
writing workshops at the new school, but I think there were some things about that he found dissatisfying. And, you know, it's what, well, you know, what, what happens in workshops? I mean, it depends. I think maybe now it's a little better, but a lot of times there's not much reading going on. You're not actually reading work and, and thinking about poetry in that way. It's a lot of just presenting your own work and this assumption that people are ready right. to have their work workshopped. Uh, and I think he was already maybe experimenting with that in his workshops. Well, and this is a quote from him at, from an interview that I found. He said, for example, I asked myself, what makes a better writer? Obviously, one thing is reading other poets and being influenced by them. So one of the first assignments I had my adult poets do was to read William Carlos Williams. This was particularly relevant at New School and at the time, though I still do it at Columbia, because in the early 60s or maybe 50s even, there were still a number of students whose idea of poetry was something like, oh, winged beings soaring through the azure. And Williams can show you quickly the pleasure of saying bird there in the blue or something like that. And that's a good point, right? I mean, uh, and so I think he started that with his older students, this idea of maybe if we look at some poets who have already been successful and, and kind of take it apart and see what they're doing and use them as kind of a jumping off point, that would probably be helpful to writing. But then he started going into public schools, uh, teaching teaching poetry to to younger kids. I think this was in this... This was in New York as well. I'm not sure about that. Okay, okay. Because I don't know if you can hit kids. I mean, you could hit kids with Williams. I don't know. I see the book open and I see some Blake, so I'm curious. Well, so that's what he does, right? That's how the book is set up. He'll have them read a poem. So you said Blake. So that particular one, he has them read Tiger, Tiger. And, and kind of talks about it and says, okay, he's talking to an animal. But notice how he doesn't say the obvious things about the animal you would normally say, that he asks it questions. What would you want to know from a tiger if you were, if you were going to ask it questions? What, you know, really just kind of getting into what is kind of the mindset behind the way the poem's structured and then has them, but, you know, just to kind of be a jumping off point to, to introduce it, right? And in fact, some of the poems in this in the Blake one, the, he gives some of the poems that he wrote with kids. Some of them were right here in New Orleans at Newman. Really? Yeah. Which I don't know how old they were. I don't know if he tells us which ones are which, but he says some poems in this chapter are from the Newman School in New Orleans. Wow, very cool. Which I didn't know when I opened it to this one. So he tells them, write a poem in which you're talking to a beautiful and mysterious creature, and you can ask it anything you want anything. You have the power to do this because you can speak its secret language. And the results are pretty amazing. I think, you know, I think anyone who picks up this book and reads it are, are, is kind of astounded that poems by these kids are better than many adult poems that you read. And they're funny. And that's another thing I think people tend to lose when they get older is they, they, they lose their sense of humor about it, right? They take it too, way too serious and then they, that's no fun. Sure. But I don't know, maybe, maybe, do you want to try reading one? Sure. You can just pick one at random. Here's so the, is... the Blake animal poems. These are some of the ones that he taught. I guess this was in the uh, early 70s, maybe. Okay. 
by Chip Chip Waring, wherever you are, Chip Waring. Uh, giraffes, how did they make Carmen? Well, you see, Carmen ate the prettiest rose in the world. And then, just then, the great change of heaven occurred, and she became the prettiest girl in the world, and because I love her. Lions, why do your name main flame like fire of the devil? Because I have the speed of the wind and the strength of the earth at my command. O oh, Kiwi, why do you have no wings? Because I have been born with the despair to walk the earth without the power of flight, and am damned to do so. <laughs> oh, bird of flight, why have you been granted the power to fly? Because I was meant to sit upon the branch and to be with the wind. O oh, crocodile, why were you granted the power to slaughter your fellow, fellow animal? I do not answer. <laughs> so it's pretty good, you know, and it's this kind of I kind of idea of which I think is a good exercise for anyone to do, but especially for kids to look at a poem that's done well and just imitate it because it helps you start figuring out how things work. And the other thing I like about it is it's treats kids like real people letting them read real poems instead of like, I think a lot of times in middle school and things, it can be condescending. Sometimes people want to give kids these things that are just crap to read. Like it's just no good, just bad stuff because they're like, Oh, well they can only understand so much. So we don't want to give them something that's beyond their understanding. Kids can understand a lot more than you give them credit for. And it's, you know, I I love that about the way Kenneth Cope does it, that he's giving them real poetry. He's really? not trying to give them kid poetry to right. read. You know, he's he's not being condescending to them. He's like, yeah, no, you can do this. You can, you're as much a poet as these people are, and you can try and do that. Sure. It's interesting, too, though, when we have the reading, the first poem that Emma Wan Seedler, my stepdaughter, does is based on this book that she read and it's an interesting children's book because that's how much Kenneth Cook's method of teaching has seeped into the culture of teaching poetry is the whole idea of this book is it's a it's a fiction book written for children but it's about a kid who has this dog I think it's called Love That Dog and he has this yellow dog but he writes poems about the dog and it's almost exactly the things from Kenneth Cook's exercises like he writes one where he's talking to the dog like William Blake he writes one where it's like a William Carlos Williams imitation of so much depends on a red wheelbarrow yeah um which is kind of interesting so they kind of just took this and made it a fictional story but she loves it and she it you know like because it's this thing where you have a kid imitating these poems but in doing that, it introduces them to these different poets, which is kind of cool. That's know? pretty cool. Let's talk a little bit. Uh, so, what was the, you know, what was what was the setup at the? I mean, what was the, you know, you guys did some exercises with these kids. So and... beforehand, yeah, they had kind of like a little mini workshop, and okay. they looked at the poems they'd already written and talked about them, and you know, saw if they were there was anything they wanted to change. But then they did some of these exercises. To, to come up with some new material because some of them didn't have uh, didn't have that much to read so that they would have something to read that day and then practice reading a little bit too because that's a and why I think when you hear this they did a pretty amazing job reading that's intimidating for anyone to do absolutely <laughs> and when you're a kid and you're in front of all these people 
that's a, that's difficult. That's a difficult thing. Yeah, there's. I could imagine like the idea of the stage fright, you know. Um, and they don't quite under. They don't quite know how to. I mean, what I do when I'm up on stage and I'm nervous and things, I just I use the nervousness as part of the persona of the yeah, yeah. The voice of the poem a little bit, you know. But so okay, so it was like it was like a little. It was like a soft workshop. Yeah, well, that was kind before. Of. That wasn't the day of the reading. Okay, that, that was, was like... uh, the previous weekend. Okay, and then it yeah, and then the day of the the day of the reading, we all just showed up at the at the library. They all brought there their poems. A, they brought their poems. There was a good little little group of people there to see them, uh, and they and they gave their reading. And then afterwards, we had them talk a little bit about and about what they liked about writing poetry and their ideas about writing poetry, what they thought that meant. And great. Yeah. Well, you're going to get that stuff. Yeah. So, but maybe we should just give, we're gonna, you know, put that in there. Sure. Um, but maybe we should just give one more example. So if you haven't read any of Kenneth Koch's books on teaching poetry, you really should. They're really wonderful. He also has another one called, Wishes, Lies, and Dreams that I think is also for younger kids, which is also very good. And then he has one for high school kids, which I use all the time, called Sleeping on the Wing. And this is a little different because instead of just giving them one poem, he gives like a selection from each poet and then asks them to write something based on that selection that they read. And the, I mean, it's a good... Sure, that's the, that's the, next, that's the next step. Yeah. It's a good selection of authors. Like he has Whitman, Dickinson, Gerard Manley Hopkins, Rimbaud, Yeats, Gertrude Stein, Rilke, Wallace Stevens, Apollinaire, William Carlos Williams, D.H. Lawrence, Ezra Pound, T.S. Eliot, Mayakowski, Cummings, Lorca, Auden, Ginsburg, and then he gets some of his friends, Frank O'Hara and John Ashbery. Really? And then Gary Snyder, Mary Baraka. So it's kind of a nice little mix of, of poets that I think a lot of high school kids have, some of them they've probably never been exposed to. And then some of them, nowadays, some, some of them. them they have, but they just have only read maybe a poem or two by them and they get to read a little more by them. And sure. then, and then it's different, right? It's different being in an English class and trying to come up with something to say in an essay about a poem, than reading it as a writer and, and saying, how can I, use this as a as part of my toolbox of what it is to be a poet and and how can I, you know, take the parts from this that I like and use it. Yeah. But the kids ones are great and they're also fun to read even if you have no plan on teaching a kid how to write poetry because like the the he gives examples of the kids he taught in writing them and a lot of them are just hilarious. And good, but hilarious at the same time. Oh, I don't know. What would be a good one to look at? So in this one, he does Whitman, William Carlos Williams again, Lorca, Coleridge. Really? Shakespeare. Does he, what, Rimbaud. What, what Coleridge poem does he use? I'm assuming it's Kublai Khan, if I'm remembering right. It's got to be, right? It's got to be. What else would that be? John Donne. Robert Herrick. That's interesting. Forgot he did that. Um... I don't know. I don't know what's a, what's a, what's a good one to do. They're all they're all interesting in their own way. Oh, he does a Wallace Stevens one too. Cool. Read that one. But 
I love let's see what that. Uh, let's see what what pay, what. Uh, well, for Wallace Stevens, he gave them thirteen ways of looking up at a blackbird, which which yeah. makes sense, right? Uh, yeah, great great piece, man, great poem. And what does he tell them as they're kind of uh, write a poem, and when you talk about the same thing in a number of different ways, be sure you think about how it really looks or seems for each thing you say about it. If you like, you could put a different way of seeing it in every line. But you should probably pick something that's a fairly ordinary thing, such as Stevens considers a blackbird to be. Makes sense. 13 ways of looking at a flat screen. <laughs> I kind of... Oh, oh, Chip Waring's in here again. Well, let's get someone different this time. Chip just seems like he's all about picking up girls, even though he's only in the sixth grade or something. <laughs> So this is fifth graders. This is Valerie Goodall, Four Ways of Looking at Scissors. When I look at scissors, I see people dancing. When I look at scissors, I see a piece of paper being cut. When I look at a broken branch, I can see scissors. It's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Can we get another one of those? Uh, yeah, let's see. Let's see what else we got. Maybe we'll go to some X many ways to look at a thing. Some older kids. Not a funny one, but it was a good one. So th this is this is a little older here. We're at seventh grade here, and this is Molly Hankwitz. Five ways of looking at a pond. A pond is just a mirror left alone amongst the grasses to reflect the sky. A single tear from skies above, finally cooled by evening winds. A shiny silver button dropped from a giant's coat, never to be found. Made of green jade, a Chinese bowl surrounded by leafy green temples. Blue paint accidentally dribbled on the green carpet of a hill. I love that piece. That's really good. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. <laughs> and I think, you know, we're going to listen to some of, some of the things from the reading. And I don't, But that's the amazing thing. Kids are not worried about trying to make these things have some overarching idea. So they can just be great with their imagery, you know? Well, that's the thing. It's like kids sort of approach, you know... This sort of kingdom of language is like just with no really constraint, really or understanding. I mean, within the, within their own language. Well, of there's course. constraint, but it's a different thing, right? And they're not worried about like kids pick up languages quickly too, right? Yeah, like they pick up yeah. languages way way quicker than adults would because of well, your brain's just more plastic in some ways up to a certain point. Maybe not at the age some of these kids are. They're they're less plastic, but it's still more plastic than an adult. But yeah. So why aren't we doing this in schools all the time? I mean, some schools do it, but it's generally, I think, in most schools, a very rare occasional thing. I, imagine if we were doing this in schools as a weekly, even if it was just weekly, there was one day every week from the time kids were in kindergarten all the way through high school. How amazing that would be. Would be very cool. I mean, 
Just How like, is that any less worthwhile than the other things they're doing? I mean, to me, I well, think it's, it's much not. more worthwhile. Way more worthwhile. Be able to like put them on a put them on a poetry program. But I mean, it, but there's so many things. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't write write poetry ever again as adult, an adult. But it's opening you up to seeing the world more, and it's opening you up to not being afraid of language to of, of I was gonna say abstract thinking yeah in a different way in sort of a it would be I don't know why well, I don't know why we don't do that I think it would be so beneficial well you know we we've also got uh, an opportunity here if you're a teacher uh, and you're listening to this podcast you can always write us in and talk about uh yeah tell and us a little bit about maybe know, successful things yeah, that you have in and your I know classroom. a lot of people are doing this especially with younger kids I know a lot of you are doing it but at least from what I've seen, what tends to happen is someone might do it once or twice, maybe four times a year, but they're not doing it on a regular basis. And I, I think to really get a good effect from this, it would have to kind of be a regular thing. Just once a week. Wouldn't even have to be a whole, I mean, once a week for an hour would be a lot. And I think it'd be really good. And it'd be good for kids. And it would be, and it's also, I think, you know, for a lot of kids, a, a relaxing thing, because it's something that's more an open sort of writing assignment than other kind of writing assignments you get. And we need the other kind of writing assignments. I'm not saying we don't, but it's nice to have something that's a little more open like that. Yeah, I agree. Something that's just like lets the ideas flow out, and and even if they don't really follow the rules per se, and just get you know you give them a game to play. Yeah, kind of, and. You know what? If you if you do that with kids, I think they're going to be a lot better at reading not just poetry, but but reading all kinds of literature as they get older too because it's going to it's going they're going to be looking at it in a different way. They're going to be looking at it as writers instead of as someone being tortured with a book in their English class. Right, which is yeah, <laughs> we've all felt that even if we're writers. <laughs> all right, so we're going to leave you here with some selections from the reading at the library and we're going to also have a little bit of an interview with the with the with the authors at the end of this fantastic
I hear cars go zoop down. I wish I was stronger than Now we have Indigo Mattingly. The rain, the flood, the feelings, the heart, the balloon, the needle, the sweat, the diamond, the crystals, the boat, the train that goes underground, the pecking bird pecks, the car drives by, the train beats like a button, the train is there.
And uh, Zoe would like for Stella to read one of her songs. Oh, that sounds Whenever great. we do fit that in. <laughs> you go looking in the ocean and you see nothing. You don't know, you don't know there's little things. You go looking in the valley, but you see nothing. You don't know, you don't know there's little things. You go looking in the river and you see nothing. You don't know, you don't know there's little things. You go looking in the garden. And you see nothing. You don't know. You don't know. There's little things. Oh, y'all <laughs> want to maybe tell us a little bit what y'all like about poetry? Well, what we, um, what I like about poetry is when you're telling differences, like the difference part, you could do something. Like, it doesn't have to be something from real life. If you're comparing a uh, mouse to some to the size of a cat, that would be in your imagination, right? So that's what I like about the difference. I like poetry because you can pretty much, you know, go, like, all out there with whatever you want to put on the paper, and it can be really elaborate and amazing. You can also just, like, if you... You're on in the middle of a poem, and you kind of like get to the part where you don't really think you like that part of the poem. Kind of gets just continue on, but kind of change the poem a little bit to how you like it. That's what I did at the start of the poem. The thing that I like about poetry is that you can express yourself, and you can put the first word that comes up in your head on it. And nothing has to rhyme. It doesn't have to be in a certain order. It can just be random stuff. Let's say you have a cat and you want to write about your cat. You also want to write about your dog and you, only, and you can only do like one paragraph for your poem. What you can do is you can mix your cat and your dog together. Like you could say things about both of them and it would still be poetry. Would that be a call? No. <laughs> basically, you could just say, my cat has... My cat has long, thin ears. My dog has thin and thick, fat ears. No, I'm just, like mixing them together, not doing saying both of them like that. Just call. <laughs> my call. My call. Let's say you have an orange cat and you have a black dog. My call. My call has has black fur and orange spots.
at the end of the exercise, it was really fun because we mixed them all together to make our poem. Like some of my poem is from my wishes, and some of it is comparing things. How did you mix them together? Oh, we, um, well, after typing them all up and printing them and stuff, we cut out each line, and then we, uh, out of each poem, and then we randomly glued them on another piece of paper. Kind of them. Well, yeah, but um, it was like we took parts of every poem uh, with scissors and glue. I tried to like use my entire, um, all of the stuff for my poems, but then I noticed that I tried to use everything, but then there was like this one little piece that didn't fit right in the poem. So. I mean, I've have you ever had any other experiences with poetry? Either one of you or yes. I wrote Yellow Cat a long time ago. Yeah. Well, we've done poetry many times. Of course. Yeah. Thank you. I was gonna do um babble poetry. You know what that is? Yeah. So if you wanted to say Bunny Rabbit, you would say Bunny Rabbit. Yeah, Bunny Rabbit. I think. And there was a book about uh um. Shell Silverstein. Shell Silverstein. Um, he has these. It's kind of like a swirl, but it's a poem in the swirl. And sometimes when I'm reading them, it's kind of like the beginning is in the middle. Silverstein puts the, puts the beginning at the start of the swirl. But when you're in the middle of the swirl, you think the beginning is one of the words you're reading. It might be or it might not be. But the end makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, how did you write the yellow cat poem? Why was that a poem that you read? Um, well, I was reading a book called Love That Dog, and, well, it was about this kid, and he was, like, writing poetry from other books. Like, um, So Much Depends Upon the Red Wheelbarrow, and, uh, Tiger Tiger, well, pretty much all the ones that I use. And he wrote one poem that was about his yellow dog. And it turned it into a cat. I actually have a yellow cat. And then you actually did um, a few poems. You did, so there's this poem, there's this book where it's about insects, and there's also different ones, where it's a sharing poem. So one side is some what someone says, and the other side is what someone else says. And I did a few of those about yellow cats. And I was the and you babble poems about yellow cats. I was I really did like yellow cats. Did you do um was I the yellow dog or were you the yellow dog when we did that one about the yellow, yellow dog, dog and yellow dog. I was the yellow dog. And I was a cat. So it's about rain, wasn't it? The dog loved rain. Ava. Um, I have a question for Ava. Yeah. Why didn't you do anything about gymnastics and since that was your dream? Well, because I don't know that much about gymnastics, but I love gymnastics. And at the time, I was big. Okay. <laughs> How did you guys feel about speeding up and reading your poetry today? I was kind of worried um, because about, I mean, uh, I've never really read my poetry to more than just a few so. 
Well, it kind of wasn't a problem for me because I used to do dance and I always got in front of about 100 or more people. And this is less than that. Well, what I was very afraid of happening came true when I was reading my poem. What? There was a mistake. I actually started that one. Oh, no. That's why. Oh, Babble poems. Like you get it mixed up. That's what it's from. <laughs> like how you get poems mixed up so you can just do it and it's still a poem. It's just a normal poem. How you're supposed to read it. And then you make it the right way and you're like, oh, it's awesome. I think I better watch Babble. Maybe you do it. So are y'all going to read more poetry and more poetry reading? No. Maybe. Maybe. I really have no idea. I have a question for the audience, though. <laughs> All right. Let's see if I get your driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting that anytime soon. So the question is, have any of you ever read poetry to an audience? Does a telephone qualify as an audience? No. 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 What about a song? Oh my yeah, so yeah. I count also like a song, like just yeah. reading something out in the crowd. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. I have. Laura has. Joseph has. When, <laughs> when I was pregnant with Indigo, I would read poems at the microphone about her while she was in my tummy. That's it. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they can like hear that on the podcast or not. I have a question. Yeah. So this is for all five of you. What advice would you give to somebody who wants to write their first poem? No. Some advice would be that if you're scared to read it out in the crowd, first to not stress about it. And if you're scared, you can read it to your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother. Anyone in your house or even your friends if you're at So how would you begin to write it as a person who's next? Um, if you want to begin to write it, then maybe look at someone else's poems. Or you could um, do it about your memories that you have and also maybe some things around your house. That you could probably look at another poem to get the idea of it, you know, the format and stuff. So reading poetry helps you think about writing poetry? Sometimes. Like, maybe just books help you write them. Yeah, like, meh. Well, if you want to start off a poem, you might look, you might find a poetry book and maybe, like, just look at the first few words and then think about something you really like or wish or want or hear and that as the first word of your poem. Anything is possible! <laughs> All right, girls, thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. Awesome. Thanks, y'all. It was wonderful. Thanks for organizing this. It was really nice. This has been this week's episode of No Good Poetry Podcast.
Uh, if you like the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. I know it's a little tricky to get in there, but uh, if you go into your iTunes, there's a there's a you got to kind of dig a little bit, but you, there's a way to do reviews. Um, through. Well, first of all, you can get right to No Good Poetry's iTunes page by just typing in nogoodpoetry.com slash iTunes, and it will open the podcast in your iTunes for you. But yeah, then you've got to go to, I think it says, write a review. Oh, it's a little button. It's a little button, yeah. That's it for this week.